For today, we're actually taking a bit of a departure from Twin Peaks, uh, for the most part, and we're actually going to focus on Evelyn Wong uh, from Everything Ever All at Once. And today, I have Jill Watson as co-host, and here she is to in introduce herself further. Hi, I'm Jill Watson, and I live in Seattle. I have lived in, I grew up in the Snoqualmie Valley, lived here most of my life, and um, I'm just, I'm so excited to talk about um, anything related to Twin Peaks, but also... Um, everything everywhere all at once which which is right in the running with um, any David Lynch film uh, which I, I love all of them um, for my favorite film of all time so thank you so much for having me Colin I'm, I'm excited to talk about uh, everything everywhere all at once and especially Evelyn Wong and Michelle Yeoh's brilliant performance just beyond amazing so Thank Actually, you. that does make me think. Um, did uh, did you see what uh, the Daniels talked about? Uh, for the listeners, uh, the the Daniels are the uh, the directors of everything ever all at once. Uh, but did you hear about what they said in the event they couldn't get Michelle Yeoh? They said they would have to do the rewrite the entire script, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, well, partially that. Uh, it was a it, initially their thought was I, it must have been one of the producers that said something effective. What if we you need to have a backup? And they both just said. We don't really have a backup. I don't think anyone else could take this role. And when they yeah. uh, when they were told like you have to pick one, like oh, we could just like have like one of our moms be in it, slash the budget down by ten percent, <laughs> and make this like movie akin to Jackass. And then the producer said, no, we can't do that. Um, so it is a good thing that Michelle Yeoh believed in the script because she is honestly one of the best leading characters in any movie in a long time. And I think the big factor, the thing, my big takeaway from it is that. I look at the parallels of, you know, this movie and also the world we live in now. I'm thinking back to like 45 years ago when the original Star Wars came out is that I really think that with uh, Evelyn Wong, it really does feel akin to the hero's journey by uh, Joseph Campbell. And it's like beat for beat and almost specifically if we're going to go with the Luke Skywalker analogy, specifically Return of the Jedi, because there's this huge focus on know a family member being part of a deeply rude evil she has elders there telling her that she has to kill said family member there's a fact that she's susceptible to being just as evil and the fact that they basically don't fight but they almost talk it out for in 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 different respects and i think that's yeah. the big thing is that there's some about the hero's journey that definitely is this major like it just grips people like in a unanimous way yeah any any character that's like the chosen one and uh, if, if I may be so bold as to uh, tie it back to the Twin Peaks universe, it's very um, akin, it's obviously a very different story, but uh, the character arc of being the chosen one is kind of reminiscent of Laura Palmer's journey in uh, Firewalk With Me and debatably, I'm not even gonna get into the debate, you know, at the, at the end of season three, the Carrie Page journey. So I agree with you. Like it is the hero's journey. She's the chosen one and um, she has all these external forces and then she finds a way to um, integrate them into ultimate victory or defeat for her and the the consequences to the many universes. 
And uh, I guess also, uh, and this will be the last uh, tie-in to Luke Skywalker, but I think what makes this work just as well, and maybe in some cases better, is that they talk about how in every multiverse she is the worst one. And I think there's yeah. just something about that character where you just have that feeling where, you know, you reach a certain point in your life and you kind of wonder if you're doing the right thing or if you're just very passive. Because, uh, you know, it's not that crazy to think that, you know, someone's living this banal life or you have to appease your parents. And uh, that's it's stuff that rings very true. And the fact that, you know, unlike Star Wars, this takes place, you know, in the real world. I think it just adds that much more to it. Absolutely. And I think one of the one of the key words that you brought in is in, integral to the entire or one of the one of the undercurrent themes of this entire film and character and that word is doing. Am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? You have to do, do, do to have value. And from Evelyn's early interactions that they flash back to with Gong Gong, her, her father, she was never doing enough. She was never doing enough for him. And it was never enough for her either. So even when she's confronted with um, Alpha Waymond, who is trying to draw her in and make her take this hero's journey, she remember the line is um i think it's too busy today can't can't help you it's it's the difference between doing and being um and the sense of being enough and i think that rings true for for a lot of the characters um evelyn and joy in particular and their relationship anyway i know that's we can go much much farther into that but uh, oh yeah no you can expand further if you'd like no i think that's it i think that's that's it. <laughs> okay. Now, I guess the other one is that uh, in the case of Evelyn, in, with her in her case, obviously she has to become this hero and she has to ascend. But the other one is that like the people in her life, because you know, I have someone like Waymond, who I actually do maintain is probably like one of the most powerful, I guess, side characters, if you will, since like Samwise Gamgee from the Lord of the Rings trilogy, where uh, oh. that was he has like his scene about being kind is like one of the most like. You wouldn't expect that a movie with uh, trophy butt plugs uh, to have a, an emotionally moving moment, but this, there yeah, were a uh, lot. yeah, and his his speech, which uh, most a lot of other movies wouldn't be able to pull that off or feel too, I don't know, too out of place. But this movie, it just really brought it all together for me. And he was able to do it in subtitles. I mean, of course, anybody who speaks um, Mandarin can can follow along with the audio but um you know when he did when he talks about how his kindness isn't naivete it's it's um necessary and deliberate um that, that i believe that was they call him the ceo waymond when they're having the conversation in the alley and he does it in subtitles and it's just you just feel every single pulse of that scene like it isn't even beats at that point it's just a pulse and it's uh yeah. And then he continues the, the kindness thing when he's talking her down at the big, big climax about how to please be kind, especially when we don't know what's going on. And one of the things I was thinking of is that uh, in, in the near the end, when uh, Evelyn's at her lowest point, where he manages to have Deidre just hold off just a little bit longer about the audit, is that he talks yeah. about how all he had to do was just talk it out. And uh, I didn't think about it on, until my rewatch, but when, you know, he has the divorce papers... Uh, there's a part when he's in the car with her and he actually talks about at least the way he words it, is that he didn't even want to divorce her. He just talked no. about how his uh, friend, they, you know, they, him and his wife, they started talking things out after that. 
So it, it was just this little thing that I picked up on that just reaffirms like the true kindness that Wayman has. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, there was at no point did he really want a divorce. He just wanted to force a conversation and force some kind of meaningful interaction. I think he, in almost every action that he takes, now that I think of it, and every word that he says, he's trying to get her to stop doing and start being. Even with his googly eyes that he puts on things, you know, she has to stop and get mad about the googly eyes. But in doing that, it interrupts her day. It interrupts her constant, you know, she's walking around taking the tennis shoes out of the laundry. She's she's dealing with joy. She's dealing with her father. She's dealing dealing with the the customers with the, the dogs in strollers. <laughs> and um, when she sees the googly eyes, she just gets so mad. It stuns her into stopping even momentarily and almost not she doesn't I wouldn't say she quite takes a deep breath and resets but it definitely is a redirect for her um progression <laughs> I I absolutely agree um actually this does kind of uh, segue into the symbology of everything ever all at once where just the prominence of circles throughout the movie is that uh you know it starts off where with the audit where it's just this giant like you know black circle surround like the crux of what sets this all off and then uh of course uh you know we'll get to uh join jobu tabaki in a bit but you know we have the everything bagel where it's just this all-encompassing thing and then uh you know come back to the googly eyes though it is like this tiny little thing where it's basically the opposite of the everything bagel because uh the colors are inverted as, you know, it's mm -hmm. and it seems more insurmountable just to the power because in the case of the movie, the everything bagel starts to actually suck people in. Uh, well, to be fair, I think it was the one guy, and everyone else just kind of managed to not get sucked in. But it does show that there is a certain power that it has. But the fact that uh, Evelyn she can just put on the one third eye, and uh, that's enough for her to set off on this uh, on this journey to finally reconcile with her father and her daughter. Uh, which is actually really powerful that they got that done in such a short span. Yeah, and um, I'll, I'll speak to that in a second too, but um, the circles are everywhere. Like even in the laundromat that they own, you, know, you have literally the spinning silver circles full of stuff, full of dirty stuff. So <laughs> um, I'm not going to say that people are going to get sucked into that like the everything bagel. Which it was one of the Daniels who got sucked into that, by the way. Oh, okay. I, I probably should have recognized that because I did watch and listen to a lot of interviews with them. But I think uh, coming back to the laundromat one, there's that part where when Evelyn's at her low point and she's in like the main universe, where it's uh, right before she's about to get arrested, she has this kind of embracing a bit of nihilism. But uh, she starts talking about how we're all just going in circles in like the most cynical fashion. And it's just very fitting because she owns a laundromat where it's like, that's literally everything. Everything is a circle and it's spinning around. And I don't yeah. know if that's something that the Daniels, like they did deliberately or if it just happened to work out, but it does, oh, it, it does work incredibly well. It had to have been deliberate. Um, and the fact that when she has that moment, she's also, I want to give a shout out to, um, huge shout out to the makeup and costume department. But during that time, she's wearing a sweater that's red um, for the Chinese New Year that they're celebrating. And then on the back, it says punk. So, it's, you know, then she picks up the baseball bat and smashes the window. So 
it, it very much is her just embracing that. I got to break out of all of this. I got to break out of the laundromat. I got to break out of the, the family trauma cycle. I got to break out of the needing to do. I, I need to just, you know, sit outside and learn to bake with Deirdre <laughs> and, uh, you know, learn to actually have, a, you know, a foundation of feeling okay with who she is and um, trying to extend that to everyone else, like Waymond has been trying to get her to do, even though she's the worst Evelyn that he's ever met in all of the multiverses. Well, I guess that also, uh, yeah, I guess we'll wrap up on Wayman before we move on to join Jobu Tabaki. But I guess that does reaffirm the fact of like the kindness that Wayman has is that he is stuck with, by the movie's own omission, the quote unquote worst Evelyn, but he still cares yeah. for her in like this tremendous level. Yeah, yeah. And he believes in he believes in her. And like the CEO Wayman says, um, you know, he he's talking to um for anybody who, who hasn't seen it, and I hope that people have seen it before they're they're listening to this <laughs> this podcast, or it's gonna sound completely insane. But um he's talking to the the movie star who's basically Michelle Yeoh playing herself at this point um just this stunning amazing um movie star and he says you know in in another world i would have liked living in a small crappy apartment and and doing laundry all day with you and that's i, I don't know i think i think wayman's um kind of um exemplifies in that moment and again in in most of his actions that he just um he's very present in in every moment and he appreciates things for what they are and in particular his family you know he he loves and elevates evelyn and believes in her potential at every moment even though she is so bad at everything <laughs> i actually i guess though um, uh, since we're on the topic of her family um, now is probably a good time to talk about Joy in particular, because um, I know that in the beginning, this is one of those scenes that could uh, kind of set the tone of like Evelyn either being a hero to root for or just kind of like, you know, kind of just in a, uh, you know, in someone with a weaker direction could have actually set a bad tone. But when uh, when they do talk about how, uh, you know, with Joy being a same sex relationship, that could have easily set a tone for uh, Evelyn just uh maybe not you know like not looking the best because when i when i watch it i think of uh her looking at joy's relationship as more not like necessarily explicitly anti-gay or any way but more so she's just dismissive but more uh, and not in a personal way but more so just the trying to appease her father and yes. um yeah because again it's one of those things where it, when you have a main character and they have like a family member who's a same in same-sex relationship they're at odds with it and for some reason uh, if it was a weaker director, it could have been uh, done in a lot in a more poor way. But I thought they at least set a great tone of that she does care. She just doesn't have the best way of showing it. Yeah, yeah. She. I think it also shows in that scene in particular when uh, when Joy doesn't know the word for for girlfriend, and she's looking to Evelyn to to complete this and and, and explain to the grandfather character. I think in part. It, it comes across not as Evelyn's homophobic, like you said, but that she just doesn't have time. You know, she's got like an armful of laundry. She's hustling and bustling. This is something that's going to interrupt her if Gong Gong freaks out about Joy being in a homosexual relationship. 
and she just doesn't want to deal with it because with especially with her relationship with her father there's so many things that she hasn't dealt with and I think that the Evelyn at the beginning of the movie obviously very different than the Evelyn at, after her whole journey at the end of the movie would not have dealt with that confrontation in a healthy way and may have even fractured it further with not just not just Gong Gong, but with Joy and just perpetuated the generational trauma. And I don't know if she was aware of that at the time, but it was just like, oh, I don't want to deal with that right now. We're not going to go there. Actually, that does make me think, because um, they talk about how in another universe, I forget which one, but they talk about how uh, how Evelyn, where in one universe, she it's basically this uh, experiment that goes wrong and it sets off Jobu Tabaki. I kind of wonder yeah. now that I'm thinking about if this is the thing that basically sets that off for her, you know, in that universe, because it seems like in most cases, each universe is relatively concurrent with each one where, uh, I mean, even if it looks a little vague, you can kind of see at least like indirect connections. Uh, like for example, with Wayman, when he's uh, talking about being kind and it shows in the universe where uh, Evelyn's a movie star, where he's having like a similar enough conversation about how you talk things out. Um, yeah, I, I just wonder if that's a factor of uh, of what you know set off Joy becoming Jobu jo Jobu Tabaki. Jobu Tabaki. So I don't know. Why I couldn't say at that time. Yeah, no, I kind of wonder if that's uh, that scene, like when she starts driving the car and she's in tears, if that's like her lowest point that kind of just prompts her to, I guess, become susceptible to jo Jobu Tabaki. I think there were a lot of things that um, led Joy to be susceptible to becoming Jobu Tupaki. I think, you know, obviously the, the, the stereotypical Asian thing of, of pushing a child to do and be too much like the experimental, the scientist Evelyn who pushed her too far and crammed all of the versions of Joy from all of the multiverses into her head, obviously broke her. They give that clay pot analogy about how um, the, the clay pot cracks and just explodes. But they, Joy or Jobu Tupaki states in the end, when it's almost an, in, an integration and a reconciliation with Evelyn, when Evelyn has all the different versions of Evelyn in her head, all she wanted was to be seen. All she wanted was for somebody to understand what she was going through, to see things from her perspective and to understand her and feel her and love her anyway. And I feel like Evelyn was able to love her in a different way at that time, especially after expressing and stating her, her deepest hurt in her life, which was when her father abandoned her when she left with Waymond, just saying, how could you, when she says, and it, I remember I was sitting in the theater just sobbing, <laughs> crying my eyes out when she said, how could you leave me so easily? How, how, was, how could you let me go so easily? And her taking that hurt and transforming it into, yes, I see you. I know you on every level. I know every universe of you. I've seen the evil you can do. I've seen the weirdness you can do you know, sexual orientation is the last thing on, on her, on my mind. I am not leaving you. I'm not letting you go. Breaking that trauma cycle. And honestly, I think that not being seen, not being understood, um, having a mother who communicates her love by saying, you're getting fat, 
although, you know, kind of funny and cute, that's not enough sustenance, soul stuff, sustenance for somebody. And I think that definitely is part of what opened the door for Jobu Tupaki to just want to get sucked into a bagel. <laughs> Yeah, no, the, uh, I guess the other one is that, um, on Jobu, uh, Jobu Tabaki is that, uh, just like the hair is like a good precursor to the everything bagel where it's like, you know, the, because with the everything bagel is that you get this whole thing where with Jobu Tabaki, she doesn't plan on killing Evelyn. It's really just to show her how she truly feels. And I think that having like the hair is like this thing that she literally lives with. I, I mean, at least like, I, I mean, I know she's experiencing literally everything at the same time, but I feel like in the case of being in that like quote unquote sacred ground and uh, she has that like when she's, you know, in front of the bagel, I think there's something, you know, that just fits in perfectly for it. Oh, the hair. And then, yeah. And then in the, the, the confrontation scenes when the hair spells Jobu across her forehead, I, the, the, I can't say enough about the hair and makeup and how much it, it lends to that. Like, especially Joy at the beginning with her hair, just, you know, the she's got the typical grunge style of anybody. She's got, you know, her hair is kind of flat and she's wearing the flannel and, and uh, it just kind of gets bigger and more stylized with, with the various personas of, of Jobu Tupaki. But yeah, the bagel hair, Mwah! phenomenal, phenomenal. I guess if we're still on the symbology of the, uh, you know, this black circle for, you know, just on someone's head. Deidre, where uh, in the one universe, she gets the thing stapled to her head. And it's, I believe it's the audit receipt. It's something with the black circle, I remember. But uh, then also we show in another universe, specifically the one with hot dogs for hands, where she's actually, and this comes back to the whole, Evelyn is not dismissive, at least not actively dismissive of her daughter because of a same-sex relationship, because in one universe, her and Deidre do indeed make it work. In a very loving, dysfunctional, but very loving relationship where they always come back to each other with the hot dog fingers and Claire de Lune played with the feet on the piano. Yeah. I, I just remember the first time I watched this movie, I think that I couldn't let it sink in because I was just shocked that all these crazy concepts were actually working. Like, I had to let that sink in my head before I could really just embrace what this movie was about. Because it's like I was saying, you know, throughout a couple times in this episode is that in a, in a less, in a more inferior director's hands, this would just be too ridiculous and just be all over the place. But the Daniels, they just know how to make it work. And I think that one of the things that they said was that when they were thinking of this movie, that they put themselves in the shoes of their parents, you know, where it's like from the outside looking in, there's this whole sense of like, what? well, I could do it better. And then as they start thinking of what it really is like when you're not looking from the outside looking in, that there's more of this sense that, yeah, this is a lot harder than it looks, and I probably wouldn't do much better myself. And so I think it was really nice. I think that's what it is, that the Daniels had this collective humbling experience where they just admitted to themselves that they probably wouldn't do much better. And that's just what makes, you know, Evelyn, Wayman, Joy just feel so much more real and relatable. Yeah. And um, before we leave uh, the, the, the subject of Jobu Tupaki altogether, can we talk about the fact that the, they named her Joy? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that was something that I noticed uh, <laughs> as well, is that I felt like there was like a significance of her being Joy, because I think Joy, by definition, it's not just like this temporary happiness, but like this like sustained, like, happy feeling that you have yes yes bingo and the whole film the the hero's journey of evelyn isn't i mean it is to save the universe but 
the thing that leads her to do that is literally connecting to her joy, <laughs> connecting to her joy. And like mm-hmm. that, that long and sustained peaceful feeling, not the feeling that you get when you're re- reunited with your Rakakuni. It's that, you know, it's what, um, you know, when she's fighting with kindness, it's, it's the, the joy that she gives to the other people by, you know, giving the guy his wife's perfume and spanking one of the Daniels with, <laughs> with the ball gag. Mm-hmm. I think that I, his name is Steiner, right? It's uh, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Steiner. And yes. Yeah, I think that's a, yeah, it was, yeah, it was Dale Steiner. Yeah, it was, it was Steiner the, with the uh, spanking. And, you know, it's literally reconnecting everybody with joy, but she had that literal child named joy <laughs> no the other one is that um i i was looking at because i wanted to compare usually the hero's journey is more like you know you have like luke skywalker frodo baggins harry potter usually it's male so i looked up the heroine's journey uh, by maureen murdoch as well mm-hmm. and it seems like they do adhere to the hero's journey but there is something about like those last call parts where it's like i think it's rejoining with the feminine and unlike the hero's journey it's not full circle but it's like a spiral that continues on because in, at the end of the movie they show that sorry they show that you know the family still has to work and talk things out like even the last scene where they go to the audit and it's not perfect but they're at least getting closer and yeah i think that's one of the things is that it's uh they just show at the end of the movie that they you know it's not perfect but they're willing to actually work and talk it out now and that evelyn's gonna bring some honesty to the table instead of saying i was listening she's like no can you repeat that just that subtle difference is that evelyn is willing to even if she's still working on it her mind's still wandering she's still you know busy upstairs she's willing to admit it and say yeah that you know i wasn't listening um please, can you clarify that again? It's like, okay, she's, she's making, she's making this change and it is a continuation. It's not a finality. It's the journey continues. Like you said, I, I just hope that, uh, cause I, I, th- I be, obviously the journey's continued, but I really hope they leave this as one self-contained movie because I don't think, I don't know if you could really, you know, replicate what this has done. Yeah, it's just this is just like the right type of movie, especially now where it's like uh, where it's about like it's like a sincere positivity because, uh, you know, it's like you see this with a lot of movies where, you know, think of like a Hallmark movie where you can make the argument that they're about positivity, but it's very like by the numbers, like an AI wrote the script type of thing. Yeah. But with the Daniels, you know that this is something that's from the heart. Absolutely. And when, um, you know, one of the most positive statements, it starts out as a negative statement. Is, is the nod to the, the simplistic nihilism and existentialism is that, you know, at, at first Joy or Jobu says nothing matters. And later on it said, yeah, nothing matters. So everything matters. Everything has equal weight. I think that's, that's one of the larger, larger messages to come out of it is that, you know, if you're a rock, just be a rock doesn't matter but it absolutely matters mm-hmm. <laughs> so um it, it's like you said in the hands of a lesser director in the hands of lesser storytellers it would have been a mess but this movie like you said it's self-contained that's a real i like that phrasing of it it's self-contained 
and it's a perfect story in that every every loose end it's not tied up and handed to you but it's addressed and like I don't know about you but when I walked out of the theater for the first time I don't remember feeling that deeply satisfied from a film experience since I don't know when maybe maybe never it for me it was one of those movies where again like well the first time I watched it I was just astounded by how everything fit firmly in line. It's like what I said kind of jokingly earlier is that uh, for a movie where there's butt plug trophies that give people powers when they jump on them, <laughs> you just, they're, they're just things that you just have to, you just have to be like, how is this working? How am I not like, you know, just rolling my eyes at this or, or how am I deeply moved by a movie that can also have this as well. And so like a second time you can just let it sink in more. And it's one of those movies where I don't want to watch like, every night but i do think that every time i do watch it i will enjoy it more and more because it just has those themes that you know it's there's that fundamental sincere positive feeling that it leaves you with absolutely absolutely and um just as a as a sidebar just thinking about the the entertaining funny moments it's so necessary in that movie because yeah the messages are <laughs> hugely profound and soul rending and soul sewing back together and fixing and just addressing the nature of human existence through these incredibly flawed characters that we can all identify with just it's so deep and so multi-layered that yeah it's got to be funny on some level like uh for instance and I know we, we talked a little bit about this um off camera um before we started this but um there, there are a lot of little subtle jokes and Easter eggs, like um, the Wong family. It's, it's, it's the Wong family, and they establish it in a very subtle way um, with Becky, Joy's girlfriend, uh, saying, hi, Mr. Wong, hi, Mrs. Wong. And then um, the next time you hear their name, it's Jamie Lee Curtis, but Mrs. Wang. Um, when, you know, clearly mispronouncing it. And it's just that funny. And then Rakakuni, I wore my Rakakuni t-shirt yesterday. I should have worn it today, but it's, I was hiking and it's filthy. And my nieces who I was with hadn't seen it. And they even, the, they saw the little Rakakuni t-shirt with this little step and little, you know, the raccoon with the step hat. And they were like, do you mean Ratatouille? And I said, Rakakuni. <laughs> I saw the poster, the fake poster for it, where it looks like a quote-unquote real Pixar movie. And uh, I, I, I just knew it was a matter of time before that would be like a shirt on Redbubble or Public. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was uh, that was just like a great little add-on from the movie. Yeah, yeah. And then for them to wrap it up at the end with the happy... Like, I was worried that I was going to walk out of the theater and still be sad about Rakakuni. And then, they, you know, they fixed it at the end. And... I was, Thank you for Rakakuni Daniels, and thank you for resolving that. <laughs> uh, actually, since we're talking about Rakakuni, and uh, it's probably also a good segue into the, uh, I guess, the verse jumping. Uh, I guess the first one is that it seemed like it took people a while to figure out the Twin Peaks reference, because uh, the movie was out for, it had to have been a month before I started seeing it circling around with the Evelyn, with like the Meanwhile, Red Kearns, and the Venus de Milo statue. And I, obviously, the Daniels, you know, at least one of them is a huge Twin Peaks fan. And it, it probably wasn't meant to be taken in canon anyway. But did you ever have any, like, any fun, like, theories of, like, you know, what Evelyn would be doing in at least one of the universes? 
Oh man. I haven't, I, I don't know that I've done a deep dive about that, but I was thinking about um, when we saw the, the Evelyn as Laura Palmer, basically. <laughs> I was thinking like, what if someone like, what if Laura Palmer had been someone like Evelyn from this, from this universe? And it's a, it's a fun little trip to go down. It's, it's, Go down because you know Laura Palmer was also super busy and trying to distract herself from her pain and obviously in a very different way than Evelyn. So I think in that way they're very similar characters and they both had generational trauma, very different ways. They both had um, they're both dealing with some pretty intense issues. Yeah, I don't know. I wish Laura Palmer had had somebody like Waymond. I, that, that uh, Laura Palmer definitely would need someone more like Waymond. Um, yeah, it definitely would have been a much more different story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, every, I, I wish everybody had a Waymond. He's like the perfect companion for anybody. Everybody just wants to be seen and, and loved completely, like Waymond does with every, with obviously just his family. Yeah, I, whatever advice Waymond gives about kindness is, is something I think we should all take, try to be more like him to everybody else. But this actually makes you think, uh, it's sort of like the comparison I said about Waymond with Samwise Gamgee is that at least all my friends who are Lord of the Rings fans, where uh, I hear more people talking about now, at least in the last few years, is that, you know, we always want to have, you know, you're saying a companion like Waymond and Samwise, but in some cases, like, sometimes we also have to be that person as well and see that in us as well. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta be the friend you want. Be the, be the support to other people that you want in your life, because it I believe, at least, that it comes back to you. And that's not a reason to do it. You should just do it because it's the right thing to do. You know, if you need that motivation. <laughs> Actually, the last thing, at least the last thing I have written down is that um, I was thinking of uh, the number 10 of the floor that they're on when they go to their audit. And I was also thinking of what John Thorne wrote for Laura is Avatar uh, like a couple years ago. Because, uh, you know, in Twin Peaks um, and in Eastern Religion, it is indicated that 10 is the number of completion. And I was thinking about if this was prominent to Evelyn's role, because at least from one of the podcasts I listened to, the Daniels actually were inspired by Hindu belief. So I do think that the number 10 is deliberate. But uh, the whole idea is that Vishnu is the one that sustains all reality and monitors the universe. And uh, Kalki, the 10th avatar, descends to Earth and destroys evil. And it ends the Kali Yuga and begins the Krita Yuga. And I just think that there's something deliberate about how the 10th floor is where all this starts to set off for Evelyn. And if there's some, maybe not the same things that inspired Lynch, if we're going by John Thorne's article, but there's at least a similar crossover between these two uh, in particular. Oh man, I love John Thorne's brain. I love his brain and I love his, he's he's such a good guy. And I didn't notice that they were on the 10th floor. So good, good looking out on that. Oh, thank you. And um, yeah. I think, I think you're right. I think you're on to something because along with the hero's journey, um, there is a particularly pervasive, and I don't say that in a, a negative connotation, uh, there's a pervasive and central aspect to so many religions, which is the, the coming of a Messiah, the chosen one, of a savior who will save the, the whole universe and tying that into a hero's journey story like Luke Skywalker, like um, like Bilbo Baggins, like 
like Evelyn Wong and Laura Palmer, arguably. Yeah, I think I, I think the idea of 10 being the number of completion in addition to, if you want to tie it back into what you were saying about the heroine's journey, about it being more of a spiral, more of a, a, a cyclical thing, more of a gyre. Yeah, I'm sure the Daniels did this deliberately. I, I don't think that I don't think that there is a thing in that movie that wasn't deliberate. And um, yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think I think you're oh, right. Thank you. I would like to see if, if you ever write something about that. Let me know. I want to. I would like to read about that. All right. Now, um, yeah, I guess uh, you know I'll just uh, slowly watch everything ever all at once. Um, every now and then, if I pick up more stuff, I'll be sure to write it down. But um, I think I said everything I had to say about Evelyn in particular and her arc. Um, was there any thoughts that you wanted to leave on? I'm just, I just keep flashing to little scenes from the movie. I don't, I, I don't have anything profound, but one of the things that I just wanted to mention that almost all of the actors in the interviews that I've seen today, not today, but that I've seen recently, when they were talking about filming the movie, they said that they would dance together before filming. They would, every morning they would get together, they would dance, they would play a game, they would do something silly, they would do something fun. And I think it's important to go into this movie thinking, you know, it, it's so apparent that they had a blast filming this and that the entire crew had just the time of their lives. And I think that just comes across so strongly. And one scene that just keeps popping up in my mind and it's just a tiny little thing but it makes me crack up every time is um, when it's Waymond with a big, Chinese, big red Chinese lantern and Evelyn catches him putting googly eyes on it. And you can tell she's about to just unleash hell on him. And he just looks at it and he's like, okay, so either I can get confront with Evelyn and he just takes it and he looks at her and then he just runs away. <laughs> runs away, googly eyes on it. I think just the idea of conveying these kind of heavy, heavy messages with a, a strong amount of fun and gentility. And I think that takes a lot of integrity and emotional intelligence. And I think that everyone who, who watches the film walks away with a little bit of a sense of that too, and a little bit more of that. So that's, that's about my thought on it. <laughs> That's probably the best way to end this on. But um, I guess since we're nearing the end, was there anything you wanted to plug, like uh, any social media or any uh, any websites or anything that you're on? No, um, not not for myself. But I would say I would say that if you are a creative type person and you are in the need of coaching, um, there are a couple of former Twin Peaks actors who do a thing called the writers or the actors director workshop. And it's not just for directors, it's not just for actors, it's for all creative types who need coaching. And it's Gary Hirschberger and Cheryl Lee. And um, just drop them a line through the contract contact on uh, the theactorsdirectorworkshop.com. And um, it's helped my creativity in phenomenal ways. I've worked with both Gary and Cheryl and they bring the kindness and gentility that we've been talking about. Um, to bring out just the best that I can do, for sure. And um, 
yeah, so I'll, I'll save my plug for them. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Um, anyways, um, I had a great time talking about everything ever all at once. Um, it was great to talk with you as well. And um, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, Jill. Thank you so much, Colin. It's absolutely been a pleasure. And I'm, I'm glad that uh, someone wanted to listen and uh, chat about this film with me. <laughs> Together.